Welcome to Trading Places. I'm Jericho and this week I'm on my own. I'm flying solo. Um, We are due to be recording an episode on Bad Santa but due to uh, some scheduling difficulties which I was responsible for we ended up missing it and as a result Kieran has suggested that I atone or atom if you will um, for my sins by recording an episode of On My Own about Sully. So I am Jericho and this week I saw Sully Miracle. Um, And I suppose I should start things off by saying it's uh, rather unfortunate that I end up with this film on this week just days after uh, the plane crash involving Chapacoense. Um, the Brazilian football team who were killed on their way to uh, Colombia for a football match. Um, So it's poor timing to be talking about uh, plane crashes just after that horrific tragedy. And my thoughts go out to everyone involved. Um, I'm not too sure how familiar you are, listeners, with the story of Chesney Sully Sullenberger. Um, But my knowledge was... He was a man who landed a plane on the Hudson. And that's about as far as it goes. So if you know less than me, fantastic. We're all on the same page. If you know more than me, uh, I'm sorry. That's all. That's my rudimentary understanding of the issue here. Um, As for the film, I had no idea really... um, what route the film was going to take. I mean, I knew, I had a vague idea it was sort of like a a flight-type story of uh, assessing his responsibility for the the landing on Hudson, whether things could have been done better, but I had had no idea. I assumed it was going to centre around around the crash. So, um, yeah, I was quite interested with how things unfolded. Um, I suppose I should uh, start by saying how this this was Kieran's idea of punishing me, and it turned out to be uh, quite quite a good punishment, I would say, because ordinarily we uh, we see our films at a different cinema, and I end up choosing the seats. And my main my main sort of thing is I never want to impose on anyone else or ruin anyone else's cinema experience because I'm an idiot that's going to be scribbling notes and sneaking out halfway through. So I always try and sit, much to Kieran's uh, exasperation, quite near the front and sort of on the aisle, and just somewhere where I can easily sneak out and unnoticed. But uh, with this, it was uh, was an op- it was an opening Friday night showing, uh, which Kieran very kindly sorted me out with tickets for. It was an opening Friday night showing with a packed cinema, uh, lots of sort of the audience skewed a bit older, I would say, and uh, they were all drinking wine. So I arrived there and found out that my uh, seat was slap bang in the middle of the cinema, 
in the middle of the row. So I uh, budged past everyone, edged past, and every every person I passed on the way in, I was just dreading on the way out how I was going to have to sneak past them in, in the, the middle of the film because I was getting all these dirty looks. So I sat there for a little bit, and then the trailers were playing, and uh, I was sort of getting more and more uh, apprehensive about the film starting. And then I noticed, hallelujah, at the back of the cinema, in the top right-hand corner, nearest the door, there are two seats which appeared to be free. So I uh, bided my time, and then just as the film was away, away to start, I uh, snuck out past everyone in my row, infuriating them once again, and took those two seats, uh, or took one of those two seats. Um, and then I just, it sort of coloured the first 10-15 minutes of the film for me as there were still people filing in late. I was thinking like, oh god, I hope people haven't taken these seats because if they do then I'll probably have to move back to my allocated seat and bodge past everyone for the third time and this will be awful. So I was quite on edge for the first 15 minutes of the film and as a result I may have missed uh, may have missed some things because I wasn't exactly on my A-game. Um, uh, so, uh, starting off with the film, we are back in the safe hands of uh, Tom, friend of the show, Hanks, who um, has aged quite a bit after Inferno. I mean, turns out running after Faraday pointers and circles of hell can really put some years on you, because he is almost Santa-like with his white hair and moustache in this film, which I understand is because of the actual man he's depicting. Um we have a sort of nice, nice opening over over Manhattan, um, and uh, then uh, the planes flying through, and it all gets a little bit CGI. Looks like we're watching a little bit of a video game, and this is where, not for the first time, I was completely thrown by the structure of this film, because uh, I thought that this was the uh, this was the uh, the I thought I thought the film was going to center around the crash. Um so when I see this plane crash into a skyscraper and explode which turns out to be oh surprise an instance of Hankarama and then it's revealed that it's all just a bad dream. I was thrown for a loop because I thought that this was the day of the crash and that he was having dreams about crashing on on the the morning before he was due to due to fly out because he sort of wakes up in a cold sweat and i was imagining like his wife just turning to him be like honey is everything okay and he's like yeah just uh whew, had a really bad dream i was I, I crashed the plane for some reason ah well time to go out and fly this plane um so i was completely thrown by that and unbeknownst to me uh, that was actually, the crash has already happened and he is sort of struggling and flashing back to it and how things could have gone differently. And so I, I was thrown for a loop and I was on edge because I was still uh, still waiting for, as people were coming in thinking at any second I'm going to be asked to move. And this sort of filtered down to um, the film where I was scribbling my notes and I wrote, oh, so the crash has happened? And just as I wrote the word crash, Tom Hanks says, water landing. It's not a crash, it's a water landing. And this 
it felt like Tom Hanks was talking to me, addressing me personally, a little theme which um, we will see continue on throughout my experiences in the first half of Sully. So uh, I suppose to fill you in on where we are, he's in a hotel room where he's doing some sort of deposition investigation onto uh, the crash and what went wrong, whether things could have been done differently. Um, He has his mustachioed companion, Aaron Eckhart, who is a little bit like a sort of mini-me that he has with him, where they're just two guys with identical mustaches. Um, And at this point, I would like to say um, uh, that I missed my own co-pilot for this flight, and shout out to Kieran, hope to have you back with me in the future. I'll let you decide which one of us is Tom Hanks and which one of us is Aaron Eckhart. Um, And yeah... So they're they're getting quizzed on on what happened essentially getting the the suits the suits on the ground floor who uh, work for the airline are asking Tom what happened. Um, oh, one of them includes uh, Skylar from Breaking Bad. Um, so yeah, there's a load of suits and then there's her and they're asking what went wrong. Um, and uh, they're just they're both just sort of really bullish about it where they're not they're not really engaging with engaging with the uh, the investigation they're all sort of quite cocky and just refusing to engage really and just coming out with all their lines like oh um the engineers say that you could have made it back to uh LaGuardia uh and then he's like oh engineers aren't pilots they're wrong and then at one point they suggest a uh, um, computer simulation to work out again if you can make it back to uh, LaGuardia and Tom Hanks says, uh, I would like to oversee these simulations. Do we know if Tom Hanks knows about computers? I thought I thought flying the plane was his area of expertise, so for him to suddenly be supervising simulations just seems a bit of a stretch. Um uh, and then we have uh we have another inst- in, uh, incident of Tom Hanks addressing me personally during the film where he says Everything is unprecedented until it happens for the first time. Um, which, again, I figured was him uh, addressing me as we go into this unprecedented era of trading places. Uh, we're only, what, three episodes in, but already we've completely thrown format out the window. And uh, who knows, this this might, this might start a glorious new era of the show where people will go, Oh God, that Jericho's fantastic. I mean, in a way, shouldn't he go off and do his own solo stuff? Could we have a could we have a Paul McCartney and Wings type scenario here? Um, uh, but anyway, he Tom then hankaramas the TV into being on. He's lying in his hotel room while the investigation's going on, and he hankaramas the TV being on, and imagines it's asking if he is a hero or a fraud. Um, and then uh, he he is speaking to Aaron Eckhart about being on Letterman, and I would be asking Kieran if we get to see the Letterman appearance and what that is like, but for the fact that Kieran didn't see the second half of this film, and my question was answered in the first half. But um, I was very interested with him being on Letterman because I wondered if they were going to have him doing the other late night circuits and going on Jimmy Fallon, where Jimmy Fallon would probably have him like, hey, Tom, can you land this plane made of hot dogs on this river of mustard sauce? Um, 
but um, we unfortunately don't get to see his appearances on the Jimmy Fallon show. That might be in the second half. Oh, yeah. Tom Tom Sully then complains about how he's judged on 208 seconds when he's been a pilot for 42 years, which I think that that's just the way life is. Like, you, you, there are just limited moments which come to define you. It's like asking why a man's on death row, where it's like, he was a perfectly upstanding citizen for 36 years. It was only that five minutes where he killed a whole spree of people. Should he really be judged by that? Or the classic example of, it's it's like The Simpsons with Milhouse being like, what about all those times I didn't wear a tutu, Bart? No one talks about them. Um, we uh, we then get a flashback to uh, Tom Hanksy Boy uh, when he was younger and learning to fly, where he is given two great pieces of advice. Number one being, never forget to fly the plane, and two, smile. Lessons we can probably all carry into our lives, whether we're pilots or just women in the workplace. Um, but yeah, then we have uh, Brenda... Uh, Brenda uh, sends her daughter to chat up Tom Hanks, which is he's doing an interview and the makeup lady kisses him on the cheek and says, oh, that's that's for my mum. You should call her. And he says, oh, I've, I've got a girl back home. And uh, I am fairly sure that Brenda doesn't exist because the, the daughter's enthusiasm was kind of more like it it was too much for someone who's doing like kind of an awkward proposition on behalf of a relative it's like people who are like oh huh, this 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 isn't for me this is this is for my mother um i used to work in a supermarket when 50 shades of gray was at its peak and so i encountered any number of uh, any number of guys who were like huh, yeah the book isn't for me it's it's for my girlfriend uh, uh, my, my my brother's girlfriend um it, uh, it's not for me um and that uh, seemed like what was going on with brenda's daughter um tom hanks then goes and stares out a window for a little bit and he hankaramas a plane crashing just off times square to which i would say it's quite obvious that he's suffering from PTSD here. Um, and that was another another recurring thing in Clint Eastwood's last film, American Sniper, um, which dealt quite heavily with PTSD with Chris Kyle. Oh, yeah, spoilers for American Sniper. Uh, Chris Kyle being killed by a man with PTSD and then quite clearly suffering from PTSD himself, I would think. And then Sully, Sully seemingly suffering from it as well. And this just makes me worry that Sully's going to be another another example of Clint Eastwood taking an interesting story with lots of interesting questions on the periphery or in the subtext and then him just not dealing with them in the slightest and just glossing over all the issues here. Like, I'm, I'm very curious to see if if PTSD is dealt with in the second half and the film deals with all these complex ideas of what he did and what is to be a hero and whether heroes are just people doing their jobs and so on as he as he tends to think or whether we just get it all sort of reduced into uh, into simplicity um, which is what we have in the next scene where they're back in the investigation room 
and Ironhead Carter and Sully are just sort of taking this like way too lightheartedly, where they just seem to be like two jokers, just two jokesters, just arguing semantics. Um, and this was where I began to develop my fears for the film, which is uh, I was I, I was enjoying it just sort of surface level. It was quite good, but I was thinking like, oh, allegorically, does this film? line up with Clint Eastwood's political beliefs where it seems just to be a case of American exceptionalism where we're just meant to uh, just sort of look in awe at uh, at Sully's achievements and be like how how dare you question him he's he's special you know he just he just lands on the Hudson and like just forget all these investigations and facts and figures um which I mean, we we obviously I don't want to denigrate denigrate Sully's achievements and uh, heroism, which unfortunately I won't find out about because most of them were in the second half. Um, so I don't mean to do that down at, at all. But the film just comes across a little bit like crotchety old man the movie, where you've got the two of these men just sort of like old school men, like arms folded, just refusing to engage with any of these sort of new wave uh, new wave theories or simulations or anything. And I can't help but uh, see like the sort of like anti-expert, uh, anti-expert, uh, the feeling that's sweeping, uh, sweeping both uh, British and American politics at the moment, reflected in this film, where just as they're uh, they're saying like, oh, the engineers are wrong, your simulations are wrong, all the data is wrong. I was there. I'm right. It doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter what happens, only what you feel, which again may well be true for flying a plane, and the person who has direct experiences of it will be will be really important. But I just couldn't help but see it see it reflected in the kind of people who are like, yeah, I mean, empirical evidence is all well and good, but uh, so is how I feel, and in a way, shouldn't you stay out of my business? I mean. You say that it's proven that Iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction, but I feel that they did. Um, and you say that there is scientific evidence which proves that climate change is uh, an issue which we should be really worried about, but I feel we shouldn't. I feel like it's the same temperature when I go outside. Um, or you, I know, I know there might be all sort of the facts and figures that prove that immigrants aren't taking uh, my job, but I feel they are. So in a way, isn't that just as valid? Um, which we then see with uh, Aaron Eckhart joking about being uh, like, they're playing Pac-Man. You were flying a plane full of human beings, which is again just yeah reducing reducing everything down to uh to simplicity because th- these two guys they absolutely hate computers that's the main takeaway in this in this scene is they hate computers because the whole the whole film just has a little bit of a whole sort of like turn off your targeting computer luke use the force um which is all well and good in uh, the magical world of star wars but unfortunately, we live in the real world, and as Han Solo says, uh, there's no mystical guiding force which controls my destiny. I think um, I really should have looked that up beforehand. Uh, I'll 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 just paste the correct quotation in in here because uh, my quoting Han Solo skills aren't what they might be. Um, and 
oh yeah, then here we get another little allegorical moment where Sully is just he's on the phone to his wife, I think, and he is saying like this is this is the most interesting the film has maybe been where you just see like the the veneer of Sully's sort of smug bullishness crack as he wonders like oh what if I did get this wrong so near to the end of my career what if I mess this up all my previous work ruined which I couldn't help but see reflected in Clint Eastwood one of the sort of most iconic screen actors of our time and someone who's directed a lot of great films but who is now gradually becoming known as a racist conservative who argues with chairs and makes sort of jingoistic propaganda movies with fake babies. Um, but uh, anyway, I should stop making fun of Clint Eastwood given my own humiliation here, where I was once again completely thrown by the structure of this film. Um, so we see Tom Hanks in uniform, and he's at an airport shop buying a sandwich or something. Is it prawn? Is it tuna? I can't quite remember. Um, but I just thought, hang on, wait. Are they are they letting a man with post-traumatic stress disorder fly fly, fly a plane? Because he's 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 there at the airport, and oh oh he's uh, he he's there in in the cockpit, and now he's 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 there uh, taking off and. Oh, oh! Look, they're 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 letting him fly, um, and the the whole uh, the whole um, build up to this flight is just sort of like a a TV movie of the week about nine eleven, with all these little vignettes and stories as we just sort of like get the, the the little glimpses at all the characters and passengers who are. Um, who are on this plane and that's ultimately leading to disaster. We get the old lady buying souvenirs for her one-year-old grandson. We get uh, the the young guys on the golf trip with their dad. We get the baby that's crying. And it's so obviously telegraphed, like, this is all heading for a crash, that I was still thinking, like, wait, hang on. I thought I knew the basics of the Sully story, so did he did he crash crash a plane on the Hudson and then while he was being investigated for that he flew a second plane which he also crashed um because of course I am a, a complete idiot and it didn't click until embarrassingly later on that no this is the first instance of the crash this is the hudson landing the hudson uh, water landing as he calls it um uh and so yeah we uh we get we we see the birds they hit the plane and they crash and then you have the uh, air stewards who have this little chant where they go um brace 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 heads down stay down brace 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 Heads down, stay down, which I hated in the context of the film just as an audience member. If this were in a flight as a passenger, I think I would have had a nervous breakdown. Like, I cannot imagine a worse set of circumstances to be in as a plane is crashing to have this sort of, like, weird, weird chant soundtracking your potential death. It just seems like a sort of Kafkaesque nightmare. And just to have that little chant echoing through your head 
like for that to be the last thing you hear or god forbid if this is your job and you're actually having to chant this to for, for that just to be the end of your life just oh it's terrifying and then tom hanks of course has his own version of that where he's in the cockpit and there's a little robot voice that's going pull up pull up pull up pull up constantly so as if landing a plane doing an emergency landing on a river isn't stressful enough you then have like the the air stewardess's horrible chant going on in the background and then this little robot voice nagging you constantly it's just complete nightmare um and then, surprise, it turns out that the whole crash, this massive 15 minute long sequence, was one big hankarama, and he's still on the phone with his wife. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the phone call ends, and Sully goes out for a run, because when he's not, uh, when he's not hankaramaing, or getting interviewed, or staring out of windows, he's either running, or he's in the sauna. And Sully's out for a run, and he runs into a bar where um, the the TV is on because Sully's just surrounded by TVs, and there must be a channel, a news channel, which is just 24-hour Sully coverage because there are TVs everywhere, they're all on, and Sully is on all of them where they're talking about him constantly, and there's just it's just round the stop, like like this for for two weeks nothing nobody spoke about anything apart from sully um and we we then have a, a man who's a man in the bar one of the patrons in the bar whose inability to differentiate between uh the reality and what he sees on screens um reminded me of myself to a certain degree where he looks at tom hanks and he goes, he's here. He looks at the screen and he goes, he's there. He's everywhere. Which, I mean, maybe this is like a simpleton not being able to understand the concept of television. Or maybe it's Clint Eastwood acknowledging to all of us, like, yeah, I know he's everywhere. I know he's on the TVs all the time. This is just a silly world. Um, oh, yeah, because seconds earlier, we have we have Clint Eastwood putting himself in the film. Where Sully's running through, uh, running through Times Square, and there is a massive poster for Gran Torino, which lingers, uh, lingers for a little bit. Um, so he's in the bar, and uh, they have a they have a drink for Sully, which is watered down vodka. So um, if any of you want to want to celebrate uh, this episode of Trading Places with your own uh, Sully, uh, then you know it's easy to make vodka, water, off you go. Um, uh, we have oh Turtle from Entourage shows up in this film and I believe he's in fact playing Turtle from Entourage because he's wearing a baseball cap because I'm not entirely sure he has a head underneath and there is a reference to him supporting the Yankees which I believe Turtle supported Um, so that's basically where I left the film um so I'm I'm very interested for the second half. I feel like it could be, it's probably make or break for Sully as a film for me. What goes on in the second half, because uh, I I I liked I liked the first half. I have my problems with it, um, but I think in the second half we could see a sort of 
if they if they delve into these issues or continue to delve into these issues we might get a deconstruction of heroism and how it works within a system or uh we might just get a simple vindication a simple vindif can't speak a simple vindication of sully's uh, bullishness and smugness as he's proved completely right which i feel it might go for um but who knows it might surprise me and we might get like a still still a complex film or at least complex answers to all of these complex questions um and speaking of questions had kieran seen the second half of this film my questions for him would have been brenda does she materialize or do we find out that Brenda is the makeup girl and the mum who was interested in Hanks is just an invention. Um, My second question would be, is the PTSD angle delved into in the second half or is this just painted out? Like, yeah, no, it's a convenient convenient mechanism for him to have uh, have, uh, visions of planes crashing, but really we don't want to delve into what that means. Um, and my third question is Aaron Eckhart does he fight a computer because the man hates computers and the entire the entire uh, argument of the film or the first half at any rate is basically Aaron Eckhart and his gut instincts and beliefs versus computers and Pac-Man so I think the only way to settle this is a good old fashioned punch up in Madison Square Gardens Aaron Eckhart versus a computer. He's in Bleed for this. That's a boxing movie. It's out at the moment. I want to see him take on a computer. Does it happen? Or will I have to go and see Bleed for this for that? So, yeah, that concludes my experiences with Sully, Miracle on 34th Street. And all that remains is to play Last Line. Um, And in the final instance of Tom Hanks speaking directly to me, the last line I heard was from our captain, Chesley Sully Sullenberger, who said, evacuate. And evacuate I did. The plane was going down. And I snuck out the back of the cinema off into the night. I don't know how this would link up with Kieran if he saw the next half. I imagine that presumably he'd walk in and find them all bobbing around in the Hudson. Um... So, yeah, join us next time for hopefully more of a conventional episode. And uh, we now have all sorts of social media to plug and follow us on. So if you enjoyed this, then great. If you didn't enjoy this, then maybe don't judge us on me because uh, I don't know if this is a brilliant representation of what the show's normally like. Um, Normally like, he says, there's only been two episodes. Um. But anyway, follow us on Twitter at TradePlacePod and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TradePlacePod. We will see you next time for Bad Santa. Until then, see ya.